Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Travis Thomas, Leadership and Team Dynamics Coach of the U.S. Men's National Team. Travis, welcome to the show. Connor, thanks so much for having me and I appreciate you staying up so late in the evening to talk to me. <laughs> no, not at all, an absolute pleasure of course. Travis, I mean where to begin? Just fresh from World Cup qualification, what's the mood like within camp at the moment? Well, I think, you know, every, everyone went home or, or, or went their separate ways, uh, but the, you know, we, we've been able to, to jump on a Zoom since then. And, um, you know, sort of it's, it's kind of classic, you know, um, the mode of the team, which is to immediately sort of debrief the, uh, the experience and, and think about what our goals were and, and, and what we can do better moving forward. Um, uh, really kind of give everyone a quick pat on the back and then it's immediately moving forward into preparing for, for the World Cup, but obviously excited and grateful and um, just really, really excited about the opportunity. Yeah, moments of appreciation and reflection, they're supposed not to apparent within the game of football when you see most teams now, most players, even you look at Chelsea's Christian Pulisic, Juventus's Weston McKenney playing every Wednesday, every Saturday, it's tough to get off that yeah. treadmill. So that these, yeah. things, these things have to be celebrated. But I suppose, Travis, where we begin, before we delve more into the present, Let's go a little bit back into the past. What was your earliest football memory? <laughs> uh, my earliest football memory was I'm the youngest of, of four, uh, two older sisters and then an older brother. Uh, so my, my uh, youngest football memory is going to my brother's soccer matches as, as a child and just knocking a ball around on the sideline. And uh, just having really sort of an immediate, you know, love and joy of, of the game. And I, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and there wasn't, you know, a huge uh, football presence in, uh, in Flint, Michigan. But and I grew up, you know, playing all different kinds of sports, uh, you know, from football, basketball, baseball, uh, tennis. Uh, but soccer, soccer always was the one that I enjoyed most. And so um, from going and watching my brother play when I was, you know, you know, three, four, five years old and to, uh, to, um, starting my, you know, uh, club playing experience there. It's, it's, it, it goes back a long way. And how did that club playing experience go? You know, it's a lot different then than it was now. You know, I, I played club soccer where, you know, maybe we trained twice a week, you know, uh, once a week consistently if we were lucky and then, you know, playing, you know, kind of in a club um, in the mid-Michigan area and, you know, going to what three or four tournaments a year and uh, definitely not what it sort of evolved into, whether that's a positive or a negative. You know, my youngest, uh, who is 14, is a club player here in South Florida. Uh, you know, he's training, you know, at least three times a week, uh, you know, often with one or two games on the weekends. And uh, obviously it's much more intense uh, than it was when I was growing up. Um, but uh um, and then I, I, I serve as sort of the, the performance coach for his soccer club down here. So I get to work with all the different kids in the club and the academy program and um, trying to bring, a, at least from a, a mental standpoint, a mental and leadership standpoint, a sense of perspective and, and balance, uh, especially for, you know, when there is an unreasonable sense of expectation. And so I try to uh, keep that in check a little. An unreasonable sense of expectation. What age are these kids, Travis? The kids, uh, I mean, again, it, it's everywhere from, I would say probably eight or nine, all the way up to, 
kind of post-grad players in that 18 to 19 year old range. And so um, the normal club team, I think trains, the club trains uh, about three evenings a week. Um, there's a, there's an Academy program. My son, my son's in the junior Academy program. Uh, so he, he kind of trains four times, four times a week. Uh, but then, you know, being a responsible dad <laughs> and actually working with the, the sporting director, um, who's a great guy, uh, we're making sure that that uh, there's not a sense of overtraining. And so really conscious of that and, and, and making sure that the training is age appropriate and, um, you know, long term sustainable. So uh, but no, he again, more than anything, it's it's my son enjoys training. He enjoys playing. And um, as long as that enjoyment is sort of that first priority, everything after that is is kind of doable. The bonus, and obviously, I mean, your work now with U.S. men's soccer, you've been through a few iterations of U.S. soccer, if you so, yes. you could so speak of. But, um, I mean, have you seen that culture change over time with the sense of overtraining in terms of parents' expectations? Um, I always refer back to Peter Drucker. He speaks about culture eating strategy for breakfast. But it's only yeah. really in the last decade or so I've seen the game of football within the States really sort of take off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and really, I, I mean, I, I was at IMG Academy, you know, previous kind of 2012, 2015, sort of the, the good, the bad and everything in between as far as um, the expectation, whether it's the expectation of the athlete or the expectation of the parents, you know, and uh, there's always that, you know, uh, what I would call sort of the intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation. And sometimes the extrinsic is sort of um, unhealthy, uh, outweighing the intrinsic. And so I, I dealt with a lot of burnout as a leadership coach at IMG. I had a lot of, a lot of kids who uh, maybe they finally got that scholarship or, or the goal that they were you know, longing for. They actually achieved it. And then they're coming to me and saying, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> that thing that I've been working for, for five, six, seven years, I actually have achieved it. And I don't want to go. And, and now it's going to be at least four more years in college. I don't want to do it. And I, so I think that aspect is, is, is very real. It's very true. You know, I think what we, what do we see statistically that the number of kids who stop playing sports by the age of 14 because of burnout. Uh, and so I think that's definitely something that we need to continue to address, which is why, you know, I was saying and talking about my own son, right? It's like the enjoyment has to be there and, and not to mistake easy with enjoyment. I'm not saying, hey, you know, is this easy for you? No. Is this enjoyable for you? It can be difficult. It can be challenging. It can be hard. But are you enjoying yourself? Are you enjoying the challenge and the struggle? And, and again, I obviously have, have worked with lots of lots of athletes where the enjoyment wasn't there. And, and we know it's just not going to be sustainable if the enjoyment isn't there. As far as my experience with, with really soccer, you know, in the U.S., I, I was really off the map. Once I graduated from college and, and uh, wasn't playing anymore, I, I coached a few years of high school. But then I sort of got on with the next chapter of my life, which I didn't think was going to have anything to do with sports, let alone soccer. And so I kind of fell out of sort of where things went for, I'd say about a 15 or 20 year period before coming back into sports and, and now being with the national team. But I still kind of consider myself an outsider when it comes to the full landscape of, of, of club soccer, even though I've been kind of embedded in it here for the last seven years. And I think it's very healthy too, to have that big picture perspective, being able to reframe that experience 
and you've been in the perfect position to do so from your background as an improv comedian, which we'll discuss. But um, you've built out a body of work, Travis. I mentioned the words live, yes, and a book yes, which, yes. You, <laughs> which you've authored according to those words. You speak <laughs> two words that will change your life. Yes, and yes. Life. What do they yes. mean? Yes, and uh, those <laughs> those come from those come from the world of improvisation. And so once I, you know, I I, gra- I played soccer in college, graduated, coached a few years in high school, got married. My wife and I we moved to Boston. We we uh, got sort of normal professional jobs, sort of corporate America jobs, and I thought that was the path. And then I uh, one of our first weekends in Boston, we were you know new to Boston. I loved comedy. Uh, never really did any theater or anything like that, but we went to an, an improv comedy theater and uh, I just fell in love with, I was like, wow, how do they do that? And so they had classes and a training center and I'm like, oh, I'm going to sign up for a level one class. It was eight weeks and it just first couple classes, I just light bulbs were going off of, of insight and inspiration and I was hooked. And so I just kind of stayed with the training center not because I thought I was going to be a performer. I just wanted, I just loved it. I loved it. It was almost therapy. It was weekly therapy to go into a theater with a group of people and to, to create collaboratively together on stage. There was that rush that I had of playing sports, that rush of nerves and adrenaline. Plus there was the camaraderie that I had in sports or that team dynamic. And, um, and it was improvisation. So it was always new. It was always, you know, it was always fresh. And, but what I, what I, other insights were hitting me as well is just sort of the mindset piece of improvisation, the collaboration and the culture piece of improvisation and, and how to deal with the unknown. And so I ended up becoming a performer uh, while I was in Boston uh, in that theater. And then once I moved to Florida, uh, a few years later, started a group with two other guys back in 2004, just to tell you how, how justified these, these gray hairs are. So started another group in 2004, and we've been performing on and off since then. I actually have a show. I don't know when this is airing, but I have a show tonight. So the reason I was late to the podcast, I was thinking about the show. So I have a show tonight uh, and, and still perform when I can. Uh, and then it was really uh, kind of the mid-2000s is when again, another sort of moment of crisis, life crisis, as far as being fired from a job and not knowing what I was going to do. And it was like, oh, I want to, I want to get into coaching and speaking and, and I want to use these tools, these principles of improvisation. And that started the long journey to where we are today of becoming a, a certified coach as a life coach and executive coach, and then getting back into the world of, of, of sports performance as a mental and, and leadership skills coach, which sort of brought me back full circle to my first passion of sports and soccer uh, to get just the opportunity of a lifetime, as you can imagine, uh, uh, imagine uh, to be approached by Greg Berhalter, the national team coach, about coming and supporting the national team. And that's what I've been doing since January 2020. And here we are going to the World Cup. And so it's been, it's been an interesting journey, but, uh, but definitely exciting and scary and, and rewarding at the same time. Yes. And I realized, and I didn't answer your question, but what does yes and mean? <laughs> oh, yes, and you can find uh, discounts to Travis's show tonight in the show notes below. There, there you go. All right, Connor. So yes and. All right. So all of improvisation is based off of those two words, yes and. And so again, because it's improvisation, and you're for those of you who don't know improv, you're you're making it up on the spot, 
right? So it's, it's, one or two, it's one or more people creating a story or a scene from an idea, from a suggestion from the audience. And there's no script, there's no pre-planning. And the way that you do that collaboratively is if, if you and I are telling a story, Connor, whatever you say to me in that story, you know that I'm going to say yes to it. You're gonna say, Travis, your hair is on fire. I'm gonna say yes, right? Yes is acceptance, it's agreement. So it puts you and I on the same page. You know that no matter what you say, I've got your back, I'm gonna say yes. So I say yes, so boom, we're on the same page, but we don't stop there. I have to add to your idea to, to build it, to move it forward, to progress it. And so that's where the and comes in. The and is I'm actually building off of your idea with my response. Yes, and yes, my hair is on fire and it's the hottest new fashion out of Paris, right? So I'm, I'm building off of your idea and all you're going to do is yes and my idea that I gave back to you, which is it's the hottest new trend. And you're gonna say, yes, and I just saw your style in the newest edition of Vogue. And I'm gonna say, yes, and you were the photographer on that shoot and say, yes, and. So all we're doing is that we're telling a story, creating a story, one yes, and at a time. So what that means is you and I are on the same page, we're supporting each other, we're building the story, we're building it together at the same time by having each other's back. And so that's how improvisation happens, by, by one, two or more people, creating a story collaboratively by saying yes and, yes and, yes and, yes and. And so that's what I fell in love with from an improvisation standpoint. And then as I got into the performance side of life, which is when I really realized, and the reason I call my company Live Yes And, is because that is the invitation, that is the opportunity of life, is yes, everything that is happening in your life, everything that is happening to you, you have to say yes to. You have to accept it. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it. Boom. Health issues dropped in your life. Yes. Right. Pandemics dropped in your lap. Yes. Relationship problems dropped in your lap. Yes. Do you have to like it? No, but you can't get through it. You can't progress until you say, yes, I have to accept it. Right now we're, now we're dealing with reality, but what do we do with it? That's where the and comes in. So I, I like to tell people, Connor, is we cannot control 100% of what happens to us. We have no control over it. We can do everything right in life and still have manure dropped on our lap. So we can't control anything 100% of what happens to us. And we always get to control 100% of how we respond. And so most of us spend a lot of our time and emotional energy on what has happened where we have no control, instead of putting all of our energy and action into how we respond to what is happening. And so that's why I, I say it's, it's, it's living yes and. And so when I work with athletes or when I just work with people in any, in any field or industry, it's, it's, it's developing that mindset of accept what is happening and now respond to it with purpose, respond to it with intention, respond to it with, with enthusiasm, with positivity. And when you do that, you're always putting yourself in the best possible position to be successful. And what were the series of events that led to you saying yes, Greg Baralter and the U.S. men's national team? <laughs> uh, that's a great story because... Um, 
you know, I wrote, I wrote a book in 2016 uh, called Three Words for Getting Unstuck, Live Yes And. Uh, so I, I wrote the book. I self-published the book. It's on Amazon. Shameless plug for anyone listening. It's on Amazon. And um, so I wrote that. And, and, and again, I, I left IMG Academy in 2015. I wrote the book, published it in 2016, was trying to establish myself as a, as a speaker and a consultant. Uh, and I was getting work, you know, different uh, youth college and professional sports teams would bring me in for workshops and things like that. And I'm working with youth clubs and I'm starting to do more corporate training and corporate speaking. And I would send my book out to different people um, just to, okay, hey, I wrote a book. You might find it interesting. But any author will tell you, Connor, that sending out a cold copy to anyone never works. You're never really going to get a response back. You might get like a... Uh, a pre-written thank you note, but you're never going to get a real response back. And so when I put a book in the mail uh, in the, I want to say the fall of 2019 to Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's national soccer team coach who had been on the job for not quite a year, you know, I, I, I put a book in the mail, I sent it cold to the U.S. soccer house with a handwritten note that said, hey, Greg, you know, I you know love the U men's national team. I was at IMG Academy. I worked with a few of the players when they were on the under 17 team would love to chat sometime. And lo and behold, he texted me back. And I was like, Oh, wow, I've got Greg's cell phone. He'll never talk to me again, but I've got his cell phone. <laughs> and then three weeks later, he texted me again and said, Hey, can you talk? And then we jumped on the phone and he had read the book, which blew me away and kind of gave me his vision of, of what he was trying to create with the national team and what he had done already. And, you know, asked me if I, you know, felt like I would be comfortable doing some different things for the team. And of course, my answer had to be yes. And, and, uh, and that started sort of, you know, January of 2020, right before the pandemic. Uh, and it's, it's led us to where we are now, you know, going through, um, you know, Nations League and Gold Cup and, and now World Cup qualifying and uh, really, you know, seeing, seeing this team mature and grow and develop and uh, be at a spot where, you know, where it's, it's, it's now we, you know, even more exciting what, what's in front of us. But it all, for me, it stemmed from, um, you know, having the courage to, uh, to, send, to send a book off and, 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 and just see what happens. It's incredible, really. I never, I never knew that insight about yourself before, how you got the job <laughs> specifically. And, it, and if you want to go, if you want to make it even crazier, Connor, is the reason I actually decided to write the book is because if you, if you rewind to January 2015, uh, right after the previous World Cup, I was at IMG and uh, had been invited to go speak to the men's national team uh, during their January camp, which would have been 2015, and while I was at IMG, and it fell through at the last minute. And I was really bummed because I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I get to go speak to the national team. And it fell through at the last minute. And a parent from IMG kind of ran into me that day while I was kind of bummed. And uh, um, I kind of told him what happened. He's like, oh, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to write a book. He goes, you're going to leave IMG and you're going to go do some, some bigger things. But you need to write a book. It'll be a good business card for you moving forward. And I I'd, had wanted to write a book for a while. I really wanted to write a book about improvisation and sports and performance and all of that. And then him on that day where I was sulking for not getting the opportunity to go speak to the national team, he said, you need to write a book. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. That day is the day I wrote the introduction to my book. And so 
fast forward, you know, fast forward four years later after the reason I wrote, started the book is because I was, I didn't get the opportunity to go speak to the team. It ends up being the reason that, that I get my foot in the door with the team, not only to go speak to them once, but to actually be on staff and to be along for the ride. So uh, nice kind of a full circle, you know, life is funny sometimes. Yeah, very funny indeed, because it all comes down to moments and it comes down to a quote, yes. which reflect upon often inspiration is perishable. Yes, it is. And that's one, one of the, you know, one of the messages and one of the mantras that we work with, with the players is it's all about, uh, it, it's about seizing the moment, but realizing that not only is the game a series of moments, but life, you know, life is a series of moments and, you know, bringing our, our full attention to, uh, to the moment that we're in. And that's the only moment that we can ever influence is the moment that we're in. Jurgen Klopp actually uh, as a great quote uh, this past week or so that, that um, I, I put on my Instagram about how he, he is, you know, all about helping, helping the team. You can't, can't change what's happened and you can't control what's going to happen. It's all about staying in the moment and focusing on the moment. Incredible. And as this team has matured and evolved, as you've got to know them a bit more, as they've familiarized themselves with you, as you've familiarized yourself with them, how has the role evolved over time? Yeah. And, and first thing I want to, I just want to say is like my role on the team, A, is I'm, I'm grateful and I'm really excited to be there. I am one, I am one resource of an amazing, you know, full staff of, of people that, that are resources on this team. And so I don't want to over, you know, I don't want to over accentuate sort of my role. Uh, but the, the beauty of, of, of the opportunity for me is that, you know, I, I've been there, you know, with the team, you know, every time we've come together for, for two and a half years and getting to, to know in, um, in an intimate and trusting way, all the players that, that have come and, and have been a part of this and where they got comfortable and they got to know me as I would, you know, maybe do some team presentations with them around mindset and around team dynamics it's really evolved into just having one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one relationships with these different players and um, where knowing that they, they can come to me as a resource at any time when we're together and when we're not together and, and, and really continuing to deepen those relationships. And so, uh, you know, outside of, you know, always sort of just looking at the big picture, the culture of the team and the values and that, that the, the team created and that you know, is very important to Greg and, and just helping to nurture that and um, always keep it, you know, sort of top of mind as far as making sure we're being true to our values and our, our anchors. Um, it just becomes, you know, being a resource where I can, whether it's helping the players or, you know, just making sure that we're staying true to, to our, to our values as a program. And there's a lot of buzzwords thrown around Travis about, high performance, but when a U.S. men's national team campus in flow, what are perhaps are some of the, what are some of the habits, what are some of the standards that are non-negotiable within the setup? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the great things that the team has done, and I think it starts first and foremost with Greg, um, is, is modeling a mindset of, of, of responding to whatever the moment is and whatever the need is. And having this, this level of uh, sort of calm consistency, which is, which is really sort of um, mission and task-based compared to being outcome-based. 
And I, and I think Greg models that um, better than, than anybody. I'm just kind of like dealing with what is, not with what we want to be happening, but sort of what is happening. And so if you look at World Cup qualifying as a great example of that, you know, just dealing with every challenge uh, as it arises and, and just responding to it, you know, and, and um, whether it's injuries or whether it's, you know, COVID uh, things that pop up or whatever it is that's going to pop up, just, just dealing with it and having a very sort of proactive uh, response in, in, instead of having a, a, a victim mindset or a victim response to it. And so I think when Greg models that so well, I think the entire staff, the support staff, everyone from the coaches to the trainers, to the doctors, to the communications team, to everyone around the group, I think models that behavior, which ultimately the players are surrounded by that, that thought and that mindset. And so then they, it just becomes the standard. It becomes the norm. And, um, and, and, and to just do it consistent, to do it consistently. And I think that's whether the habits and the routines of the team, how our trainers and how our medical staff and how our coaches work with the players, it doesn't change based on, you know, whether we're playing a nation's league final or we're playing a friendly, right. The, the level of consistency about how we approach everything is, is exactly that it's consistent. And um, I think the players see that and they feel that and they feel the care, the genuine care from the group um, that I think has, has become such a um, uh, almost like a, an oasis for the players to come to when they're, when they're brought in because they really feel cared for uh, from the entire group. It's amazing too, when you speak about being mission and task-based because in reality, you get the opportunity to meet these guys at most six, seven times a year. So a lot of your job, uh, Travis, revolves around the planning element and most likely more often than not, once you get to camp, it's like that Formula One pit stop execution. <laughs> so when you guys leave camp and when you're reflecting, I mean, how do you actually go away and reflect upon a successful camp? What are some of the criteria involved? Yeah, you know, every every camp that we go into, you know, we have a a meeting at the beginning of the camp. We have a beginning staff meeting, and, and then there's and then once the players get in, there's a there's a player meeting. And you know, from the, from a staff perspective, you know, Greg has here's here's the goals and expectations of what will determine a successful camp. It's 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 very it's laid out right there. They are right there. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever those two or three, you know, goals and expectations are for that camp. So when we do a review after the fact. Uh, we go back to, okay, what was our, what were our expectations before this camp? And then how did we do, did we meet them? If we didn't meet them, what could we have done better? And so what can we do better moving forward? And so it's always in that mindset of, of, you know, of Kaizen, right. Constant improvement, right. What can we do to continue to get better and, and, and taking accountability for the areas where we didn't meet the standard, you know, not in a personal way, but in a, uh, a problem solving way so that we can just continue to get better. And, um, you know, uh, you know, Greg speaks all, all the time about expectations, about having clear expectations. And I think, you know, again, he models that with the staff, right? Everyone's expectations are really clear. And so when it comes to reviewing performance, those expectations are clear. And so it, it keeps everything sort of above the line and on the table. And, and so you're really evaluating performance, um, over you know whether it's personal or not 
And a lot of your job too, Travis, extends beyond the pitch to the aftercare or to the pre-care element even. I mean, you act as a sounding board to all these players once they go back to their clubs. I mean, with everything that you see going on nowadays, do you worry a lot for these guys in respect of modern playing world's demands and, you know, with everything being documented and scrutinised upon social media? Yeah, you know, and again, I... The, the, the area I, I try to be uh, the biggest asset where I try to extend myself to these players is that for them to know that uh, I'm always here as, as, a, as a great ear, as a great supportive listening um, uh, support to, uh, to talk through things. And whether it's dealing with pressures or whether it's dealing with off the field personal things, uh, just to know that the, the care that we feel for these players extends way beyond the field. Um, and, you know, obviously t- taking the time to develop that trust takes a lot of time, but, you know, I, I, I genuinely feel that these guys feel that they're cared for beyond just what they can do on the field and, 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 and recognizing the world of, of pressure that they, they live in and also the, the physical and emotional demands that are placed upon them. And, um, and so again, if I can just be another resource, uh, if they, if they choose, if they choose, so, uh, uh, is just, um, um, it's, it's good to know that, that, uh, that I'm there and, and guys reach out all the time. And it's just, you know, for me, I'm like, great, you know, it, to know that they're comfortable enough to reach out, um, says a lot. And, uh, and then I'm always, I'm always looking for more ways to continue to to kind of nurture and build those relationships. And if we're zooming out at the big picture here, Travis, as strange as it, as it sounds to say, this winter we will be having a World Cup. For all those football, <laughs> for all those football fans like me around the world that don't have a team <laughs> to shout for this winter, why should we look out for the US men's national team this winter? Oh, well, why should you cheer for us? Uh, is, you know what, I... In, in all honesty, obviously sports, uh, like most of life, it's, it's an outcome-based, you know, thing. And uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're, you know, you know, each of us is judged by the results on the field. And, um, and I get that and I understand that, uh, but to be completely honest and transparent, like I, I genuinely love these guys, uh, these, these players, the staff, the group, um, you know, it's like, to, to, to do something and to feel that you're doing it the right way. And when I say the right way, I just mean that um, I think Greg and, and the culture that, that has been created around this team, there is a ton of humanity in it. There is a ton of uh, genuine sense of, of love and personal care. And for, you know, for the world of professional sports, it is very cutthroat because again, it's just so results, you know, driven what I am most proud of just being a part of this group is, is how much genuine compassion and love there is um, for the players, you know, for players that, you know, aren't going to be with us or players that are injured or players that it's just um, uh, it's very rewarding for me just to know that it's, it's good people. It's a group of good people that are really trying to do great things. And um, it, it definitely is, is very sort of intrinsically and extrinsically rewarding for me. And, and I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. Yes. And you're part of that journey as well, Travis. 
And you know what? For someone who's gone out there, who's taken a risk, who's pursued their own niche within the industry, one could say, especially, you know, even back a few years ago in 2015, 2016, whatnot. <laughs> I mean, what advice would you have for those out there tonight looking for that little bit of inspiration to go out there and pursue their own niche within the big world of football? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think just that first part of it is the the niche part, which is, the, I, I don't think there's still a ton of people in the world of, of performance, especially sports performance, who are trying to use improvisation as their wedge to get in. And so I, there's still lots of room in the lane for me to, to kind of swerve around. And there's a few people, but, uh, um, but to that extent, uh, yeah, I've been really lucky because I, I, I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to have a career that, that really combined the things that I care most about. And, you know, you look at, you look at sports, you look at improvisation. And for me, uh, the, the other through thread in all of this is really sort of kind of spirituality slash, um, sort of the mental psychological side of things has always been a big part of my life that I've been, um, you know, in my own personal life, as well as just really interested. And, and, and so to, to have kind of those three things intersect and to be able to, to do work and to kind of build a career that, um, you know, I just went and spoke to, um, a company yesterday and it was a friend's company, a family owned company down in Miami. And I drove down there for the day and did a workshop and they paid me whatever they paid me. But like the, the purpose and the love I feel doing that is no different than when I'm on a stage with 500 people. And it's no different than when I'm working with the national team. Like I get to do work that is authentically true to who I am. Um, and I enjoy doing it and it also feeds my, it feeds my soul at the same time. And, you know, I, I, for anyone who is trying to do that, to follow their passion, to follow what feels, you know, really authentically true to them. Uh, the thing that I would say is a do that and B just don't be attached to what it has to look like. And I think for me, if I look back, you know, just say the last 15 years, maybe 17 years when I, when I really started, started this journey on this particular path, uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like, but I knew that I was going to commit to it. And the, the, the journey has been nothing but not easy <laughs> and uncertain, yet absolutely rewarding every step of the way, even when it wasn't. And what I mean by that was even when it wasn't rewarding, I was still getting up and pursuing the thing that um, drove me and inspired me. And even though I had no idea what it was going to look like from day by day or month by month or year by year, I was committed to staying with it. And that's what the true north is. That's what the compass is. The compass is, is really knowing what inspires you and moving in that direction what it looks like along the way is going to be the uncontrollable aspect of it. But when you're clear on, when you're clear on your purpose and you're clear on your why, that's always going to keep you moving in the right direction, even when it doesn't make sense, or I should say, especially when it doesn't make sense, because so many times it didn't make sense in the moment, but then when you get some distance from it and you're able to take a step back and have some perspective uh, you're like, oh, wow, like that made no sense at the time. But if I hadn't done that, 
it wouldn't have introduced me to this person, which wouldn't have opened this door, which wouldn't have. And, and it often looks like it was in a moment where you were stuck or taking a step back. But uh, I love the analogy, Connor, of, um, of climbing a mountain. Um, you know, a lot of times a switchback trail is called a switchback because you're actually switch back and you're going back in the opposite direction. And sometimes you're actually going down and you're going down in order to go up. And sometimes in life, we're, we're on a path which feels like we're going in the opposite direction backwards. But if we could zoom out and see the big picture, we would go, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're continuing to move up. We're just on a switchback and sort of to trust ourselves and trust the process and know that uh, it's, it's, it's ultimately moving us in the right direction. Even when your hair is on fire. Even, especially when your hair is on fire. <laughs> Travis, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hopefully we'll be in a position to get you on again after some success in Qatar this winter. Or non-success. I'll be available either way, Con. <laughs> I think we have a summer event to attend in the meantime first. But Travis, absolute pleasure having you on. I appreciate it, Connor. Thanks so much.